0: Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Compliant with Alliant COVID Edition. I'm Christine Blanco. I'm the Director of Compliance here at Alliant Employee Benefits, and Diana's here with me again. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to move into sort of a new phase of Compliant with Alliant COVID Edition. We're going to shift to a return to work compliance. That's really the dialogue has shifted there. Um, We're seeing. You know, the White House with their opening up America and the states looking at, you know, taking their different approaches to opening up the country. And so it's time to start talking about that here, correct? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was time to
1: turn to this when Jeff Bezos announced he was just going to start testing every one of his (laughs) Amazon
0: employees. (laughs) So um, I'm sure there's some sort of copyright weird thing. You probably can't say people's names on the podcast, but we're going to move on. Anyway, (laughs) um, maybe you can't. I don't know. Um, Okay, so... Here's what we're gonna cover today, Um, and and I should lead with, we have a fairly robust set of return to work compliance materials. So those are available um, from your Alliant representative or online um, return to work compliance playbook. So um, if you want a deeper dive on any of this stuff, you know we will have it for you. We're gonna talk today about testing employees and some data privacy issues we're covering this in a lot of different ways in a webinar and in written materials but it's always good to sort of you know confirm it with a podcast and um, before i really launch into the substantive components i want to reinforce the importance of partnering with your employment law advisors and your employment law counsel at the outset whoever that may be your hr support industry groups whatever that is because this is a moving target changing all the time um, the regulatory guidance is changing literally overnight, and so you need to have a trusted advisor there to make sure um, it, you know that you are able to sort of formulate your return to work plan in conjunction with those experts. And so, speaking of experts, it's really important. I mean, there's no really established standard of care at this point in terms of what it looks like to return to work and how to do that, how to create employer employee safety. And so, when we're moving with an with an absence of a established standard of care, you really want to make sure you're relying on the on the agencies that are experts here, so the Department of Labor, the EEOC, OSHA, CDC, who stay current on that guidance they're all doing a very good job of kind of serving that up on um on a platter Uh, most of them specifically for employers and businesses as well so make sure you're staying current on that so with that i'm going to turn it over to diana let's talk a little bit about testing employers and some of the basics
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to begin at the beginning, which was the first weirdo Mm -hmm. question that crossed my desk was, uh, we want to do mandatory temperature checks of all of our employees. And and this was really before everything truly shut down. And, And the initial answer to that was, Well, gee, you know, a temperature check is a medical exam. Uh, It's governed by the ADA. It is, at this point, not permitted under the ADA, and we need guidance from the EEOC to be able to even do that very, very basic. I mean, this is our core safety test, is a temperature check. And thankfully, thankfully, the EEOC was responsive. It revised its existing rules, and it said, you know, absolutely, we're going to let you do temperature checks, even though it is a medical exam under the ADA.
0: So, so then 17 years later in COVID time, then what happened? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> that
1: really was about 150 years ago. Uh, but then the next big issue was, um, and again, it's it, we're just sort of tracking what's happening, you know, in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. The next big question was, what about diagnostic tests? Can we require, as employers employees take COVID-19 tests? And we did not have an answer there for a while, and we we reached out to EEOC. I think pester might be a better verb. I, I was going to avoid using pester, boss, bully, beg, all of those uh, words, but we, we reached out to them, and they came out with a response that at first was really pretty tepid. It, it just sort of had some vague language mm-hmm. about a direct threat analysis. One might call it a punt. It was yeah. a pretty big punt. It was it was not enough cover for employers to feel safe um, legally from safe from legal challenge to require COVID-19 testing of employees. So we reached out again, and they again were super responsive. And they said, yes, you can perform testing of employees as part of your return to work. And there's a little bit of a debate about whether their FAQ um, we know it covers diagnostic testing. There's a little bit of debate about whether it covers also antibody testing. Our stance is that it absolutely does in the sense that the exact same logic they use applies. And if we can do some basic antibody testing, that really eliminates the need for a significant amount of diagnostic testing,
0: and that just lightens the testing burden sure and, and but note too, if you're if you're talking to your advisors and they're they got a you know a yellow light up for you on antibody testing, you need to you know, listen to that because this is just a landscape, uh, you know, that's unprecedented. And so, um, you know, we have our thoughts, make sure that, you know, the road you're going down works for you, your advisors, you know, you know anyone in your operation.
1: Yeah. And, and if you get that sort of yellow flag on that, just know that that's why there's some, I mean, literally it's like, uh, what does the word have mm-hmm. mean? It's it's, a, it's it's echoes of Bill Clinton. Yeah, and <laughs> I could write you a very long brief about what the word have means, but, yeah, let's but not have we don't, we don't need
0: to go there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. And I think also too, this really raises the issue of You know, it's really just industry-specific, you know, it's going to be geography, cost, all kinds of factors go into your return-to-work approach, and I think that's going to evolve for employers, you know, again, on a day-to-day basis, and so you just need to make sure you're staying apprised and and understand sort of your own operation and probably some benchmarking and and all of that. So inevitably, when you have something that's mandatory, there are going to be your objectors, and so... um, do you want to talk a little bit about what happens then? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think the issue we are going to sort of next be faced with. So what, what's coming down the pipe is um, we, it, let's just say some element of required COVID-19 testing is going to be part of your return to work playbook. Um what do you do if someone refuses to test so i mean again this can be for a host of reasons the the things that come to mind to me are are they refusing because they have a health issue a disability a medical concern Um, then the other one is do they maybe have um, a religious objection or a faith-based objection there And so you need to sort of split that dialogue. If it's a disability um, or medical issue concern, we're going to sort of march through, you know, what do we do under the ADA there? And that analysis is pretty familiar to employers, but less familiar, I think, is some of these faith-based objections. And so just just know Title VII, um, it protects – it has a host of protections for individuals, including – their religion, and it also requires a reasonable accommodation of uh, of someone's religious beliefs. So what we want to do there is just understand the objection and then figure out what kind of accommodation we need. Um, and then there's even like an undue hardship analysis there. And I want to just point out that when we talk about undue hardship, we talk about that sometimes under the ADA. We can also talk about it under sort of religious accommodation under Title VII, very different standards. So, you just mm-hmm. need to understand uh, what you're dealing with and what applies. And again, I think employment counsel is going to be your new best friend
0: there. That's right, exactly. And it's an employee by employee situation there. So, it's hard to overlay a blanket approach there. So, um, and in fact, you can't. So, you need to take a look at that on a case by case basis. I think another um, issue that may come up or may make employees hesitant to take a test may be the issue of privacy. And data privacy, and so you want to be really conversant with your employees on how you handle that data. So um, we get a lot of we get a lot of mixing of you know HIPAA is invoked in a number of different situations. I,
1: I think HIPAA is actually invoked in every situation. <laughs> right. yes. many of which it does not apply.
0: That's right, exactly. And, and we see that a lot, but it's really, really evident here. And so. Um, I want to level set on on a couple of things. So HIPAA protects individually identifiable health information that is maintained, received, or what's the word? Oh, created, received, or, created or, or maintained. maintained by the health plan. And so the health plan, remember, is its own entity. You as an employer are an entity, and then your health plan is actually a separate entity, even though to you that makes – there's no – that's a difference without a distinction. To you, it actually – is distinct legally. Um, I I call it the two hats rule. Oh, yeah, the two hats. So you have your plan hat and you have, except for, of course, if you have a union plan and then there's whatever, but anyway, I digress. So at any rate, the question is, is, is COVID testing or the temperature check information covered by HIPAA? And it really depends. And so... If the test is run through or paid for by the benefit plan, so you say, go to your healthcare provider, get, get a COVID-19 test, assuming that's even possible, and you know submit it for a reimbursement through the plan, and then, then we're gonna use that information to develop a return to work strategy, eh, no. Because once it's run through the group health plan, it is PHI and it cannot be used for employment purposes. When you are developing a return to work strategy and you are going to test folks, as part of that strategy. That is, either as fitness for duty or it falls into this employment records. It is not PHI protected under HIPAA. It is, however, subject to the ADA confidentiality provisions. Remember, the ADA governs medical um, exams or inquiries, which is what this is. And so, you still have to treat it um, with, you know, In confidentiality, you have to maintain it separately than the personnel file. It can't be accessible. And and there's nothing to say that you shouldn't treat this information the same way you would treat PHI, with the utmost care and caution. And you need to message that with your employees. But for you to understand, I think, operationally, that it is important for you not, if you want to use it as part of your return-to-work strategy, it is much more nimble data, obviously, to not run it through the benefit plan. And in a fully insured plan, you probably won't even have access to that. And so... This is a, a distinction that's important to understand as you move forward and implement. There may be, I mean, again, everyone's speed to market here. So you may be working with vendors who aren't totally clear on that distinction through no fault of their own. And so it's a, you should own that sort of area and then that dialogue with your employees. So,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you're looking at a vendor, you want to just have a little bit of a red flag go up if they have a bunch of HIPAA language. This should generally be, you know, when we're looking at third party vendor um, workplace health and safety, occupational health. Mm-hmm. This is just going to fall under ADA right. and should fall outside of HIPAA.
0: Yeah, and the way I see it is you have a mandatory return to work process, you're going to document that in a policy. We'll talk about that in a second. And that's required, and the data comes to you as part of that, and then you have your folks who may not want to do that, and then you accommodate them on a case-by-case basis like Diana indicated.
1: Well, yeah, and I think as you consider that policy, I have literally had people uh, come to me and say, well, we want, you know, five clean diagnostic tests before someone can return to work. And and I, I don't mean to have my eyebrows creep up my forehead by six inches, but I think that is not you know, practical for a host of reasons. And you also want to pull back and know that there is a cost in connection with these things. Yes, there was a mandate under, was it CARES Act or Mm -hmm. FFCRA? Oh, it was FFCRA. And then CARES Act built on that, where they said group health plans need to basically cover without cost sharing COVID testing. And the visit that resulted in testing. The mandate wasn't you get to send somebody in for 15 clean diagnostic tests. Right. And again, we want this running outside of the group health plan. So when we pull back on that, you need to consider sort of the cost of testing. And we don't have a great sense of all of that right now. I mean, I think there's only one approved antibody test at this point. Mm-hmm. As of like two days ago. Oh my yeah. gosh. And then also when we talk about cost and connection with testing, if you as an employer are mandating a medical test like this for your ongoing employees that is compensable time so when you look at that just remember if you're sending them far afield to get some tests that they're going to struggle to even lay hands on you're really going to have some issues with compensable time so that's the case where maybe a vendor partner makes sense
0: Um, but just understand that's an element of the cost here yeah, that's a good point. And again, this is all these moving parts and pieces in terms of how you're formulating your return to work plan. And so, I think um, I think we've covered data privacy. Um, a note before we leave the whole topic of data privacy. Um, you know, over here on the left side, there's a series of um, data privacy frameworks that have been implemented. They really started with GDPR. And then California threw its hat in the ring with CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act. And um, those have much broader scope than your benefit plan or even your employment practices. But if you are subject to either one of those, and I'm speaking more specifically to the CCPA because it's pretty expansive if you have any individuals you're marketing to folks here. If you have any employees in California, I mean, you need to take a look at it. There's some requirements that at the time of collecting data that's covered under the act that you have to provide a notice at collection even to employees who are largely exempted from the act at least for another year and so again there's a lot of um, there's a lot of landmines but you just you know you proceed through each of them and, and you take them in turn and you have strong advisors um, available for them so, Oh, I've got a landmine for you. Oh, bring it on.
1: Okay, so this is a really interesting one. It's where an employee maybe doesn't want to return to work because they might be making more on unemployment insurance. And I know that's a hot potato issue. It was certainly really contentious when the CARES Act got passed. And part of it is the fact that individuals can get an extra $600 a week through the end of July Mm -hmm. on UI. And so what you need to remember is that this means, kind of depending on the state where you're located, and depending on how much a worker uh, is earning on UI versus at work when they're doing regular duties, there may be that point where they're earning more. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bastion and we have a modeler for that. Oh my gosh, our modeler is outstanding on that. But um, what I want you to do is to just try and gently remind employees that you are generally not going to be eligible for unemployment
0: insurance when you have been asked actively to return to work. Yeah, yeah and I'll tell you, I, you know, that's a state-by-state determination. Eligibility is made state-by-state, but I took a look at California's, and it still falls squarely into if the work is available. Um, so, some states are shoehorning and some COVID reasons where you can stay on unemployment, even though there may be work. But yeah. Um, Another issue there, though, too, and as an employer, I just think it's important to understand that so many of these um, unemployment systems are not able to process claims in a standard fashion. So even though you may have work, the recertification process is being foregone for longer than it might usually. So you may have people who want to stay out and are able to stay out longer even though you have... You have work, um, but you'll want to lay that groundwork, I would think, regardless, Um, make the request, but understand that whole dynamic is probably going to be swirling until the end of July.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, I guess just to, I I mentioned the ADA earlier already, but I think it's worth just circling back to that. Um, If you have an employee who refuses to return to work Mm -hmm. and you think there is a chance that it is because of an underlying health condition that possibly rises to the level of a disability or a mental health issue that has arisen or has been exacerbated here. We, we have to go in with eyes open. And again, we know that process. It's the ADA, it's the interactive process. Can we, um, is this employee someone with a disability who can perform essential job duties uh, with or without a reasonable accommodation? And there's, again, a lot of moving parts there. We have a whole
0: webinar on this. Yeah, let's not redo the webinar. I think we're kind of redoing Maybe we're going to redo the webinar right now. Sorry. No, I'm going to say
1: go um, ask your Alliant representative for a link to that webinar. That's right. But just don't forget that that process yeah. can apply. And, again, you guys are pretty familiar with that. So just don't forget to think about that issue.
0: Right, because they don't have to come with to you with affirmative, I have a disability, and, right? Yeah, and so, yeah the yeah.
1: onus is a little bit on the employer, mm-hmm. and you guys in, in human resources are used to yeah. that dynamic, yeah. so just don't forget, it could apply here too.
0: Okay, where are we now? Where are we now? Um, I, I think, I don't
1: know, are we at... What do, you, do you want to talk about some of the um, the guidance from the CDC yeah. on isolation sure, and return sure. to, Oh, God! So, uh,
0: actually, it dovetails with uh, Diana's... I was going to call it a rant, but I won't call it a rant. <laughs> um,
1: on, I would prefer it if you did not use the word rant. <laughs>
0: um, no, just the whole very, you know, uh, well-taken point that, you know... Prescribing five, you know, negative COVID tests before you can come back to work, or even one for that matter, um, it could be a little bit onerous and a barrier to coming back to work in a meaningful way. So, as an employer, um, you can, you know, implement an approach that uh, mirrors the CDC's recommendations. And so, again, as I said in the beginning, the agencies are putting forth some pretty good guidance. And so if you decide, hey, I need to get people in and out of here more quickly and tests aren't available, you know, what's my best practice? And there's a time since the illness onset and time since recovery strategy that involves no testing at all. So you just, you know, folks who are obviously COVID positive or experiencing symptoms and you just give them a time and a window and the CDC has a very prescriptive step process there there's also a test-based strategy but really again if that's where you are then that's kind of a different bucket and so you'll just want to familiarize yourself with that time since illness onset and time since recovery and i would say recommend building that into your policy um, all the things we're talking about right now have should really be built into a written policy a specific covid return to work policy we think is warranted We've developed uh, a template policy for your legal counsel to take a look at here. We think that's really important. Um, while that should be effective enough in its communication, you should probably have sort of a, an employee communication to slap on top of that.
1: Yeah, I think communicating with employees through the return-to-work
0: process is going to mm-hmm. really help that process go more smoothly. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's. It, I mean, obviously, we're all sort of in this together, and I think generally everyone wants to get back and to, um, resume some sense of normalcy. And I think, you know... Understanding and your employees to the extent they understand that that's where you're headed with all the policies and the prescriptive approaches um, will help you as you transition back. So we will hit a couple more return to work issues in the next edition, uh, leave mandates and benefit plan issues with return to work. Thanks for joining us. Stay well and healthy.